Amen. So Acts 11, verses 25 through 30. So just to give you a little bit of info before that, um, in Antioch, there's a, a move, Antioch, Syria. There's a, really a move of, I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit. The church is growing in Antioch. The church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to check things out. Sends Barnabas there to see what's going on. And, you know, Barnabas, um, he's a man just filled with the Holy Spirit, loves the Lord. But he's there in Antioch. And, um, you know, I'm speculating. But, you know, Barnabas was the guy who took Saul, who would become Paul, under his wing. Right? He, he's the one who uh, introduced him to the apostles in Jerusalem when nobody, everybody was afraid of Saul, didn't know if they could trust him. So here he is, um, Barnabas in Antioch, and he knows that um, Saul is over in Tarsus, not too far away. And, um, you know, the Lord must have put it on his heart to go, go get Saul and bring him back and get him plugged into what I'm doing here. And it's, um, it's interesting because you see the sovereignty of God. You see God um, putting people in the right place for what's going to happen next. You know, and God is, he's a master. Well, he is, you know, obviously, he's God. But when you look at um, the way he just gets things just perfect so the word can just advance. And thinking, here's, here's Saul has got to eventually get pulled in, right, into the ministry. So Barnabas, once again, he goes up. It says that, um, in, let's read that. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the Lord's building a relationship here with Barnabas and Saul. So in the first, well, the, verses 1 through 24 of chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul are in Jerusalem taking care of this uh, business for the church. And then we'll see at the end of the chapter that um, they return back to Antioch. And when they return back to Antioch, they return with John Mark. So, Acts chapter 12. So here is uh, not a definitive statement, but I think it's, it's a valid statement that one of the keys to the early, to early church growth, uh, the spreading of the church, was the love of the Word of God, the desire uh, for the Word of God, and the intent to obey the Word of God. All centering around God's Word, um, knowing it, and walking in it. So important, so important. And you see, um, you know, the proof's in the pudding, right? You guys, I'm sure, have read the book of Acts more than once. You know and you, you've seen what that, kind of, um, what that kind of heart does. You know, a heart that is really committed to the Lord and wants to see God's will be accomplished, loves the Word of God. You know, and I know that's you guys, right? That's the way we feel. So let's read the first four verses. And it's been, just to give you a little time frame, it's been about four years after Cornelius got saved. So it's about four years after Acts chapter 10. Little, you know, just to give you a, a, just a reference for time. So it says, now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, that's Peter, 
he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So, interesting to see Herod. This, this Herod, and there's a lot of Herods, and, you know, one is uh, worse than the other. You know, they're just a, a rough group of guys, right? Um, this Herod is the king, Herod Agrippa I. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who murdered John the Baptist, and the grandson of Herod the Great, who had the children of Bethlehem put to death in their search for Jesus. So, I mean, these guys are brutal. They're brutal. And I'm sure that, um, that the church would have loved to get rid of Herod. I mean, we're going to see he's, they get rid, he get, God deals with him at the end of the chapter, but in his timing. So James was the first of the 12 apostles to die. And this is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. This isn't the James that is Jesus' half-brother that wrote the, the book of James. So don't get confused with those. When it talks about being put to death with the sword, most likely means he was beheaded, beheaded for his faith. And, you know, when I read, you know, I read through this and see this, you know, just kind of stop and pause for a minute and think what was going on in the church when the word got out that James was martyred. And for no other reason other than because it pleased the Jews. So it's interesting, uh, the climate back then was, was, was hostile against the church. The climate today is a little hostile against the church too. But you know, Jesus had predicted um, that James would suffer and be martyred. In Mark chapter 10, in verses 37 to 39, I'll read it to you. It says, they said to him, grant us, now this is, this is John and James, the sons of Zebedee. In Matthew 20, it's James, John, and their mom, <laughs> trying, you know, trying to um, jockey for a good position for them in eternity. But it says, um, um, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. So, it's interesting, you know, Jesus tells them, you know, that they're going to endure suffering and death. And then he asked them, are you guys able? I mean, are you guys going to be able to, to, to take that? And I'm um, sure there's like, yeah, we're able, you know, just like Peter was willing at first to, to die for Jesus, right? But then we know he denied him. So um, they're excited about it. They're excited about wanting to serve the Lord. And, you know, eventually they were, um, they were able to do that. Um, it doesn't give us any detail um, about James or anything that he said or how things ended for him. But I'm sure that, um, you know, that he just, I, don't, I can't see him fighting and screaming and kicking, you know. We know when Peter was, was martyred, he wanted to be crucified upside down because it was, he wasn't, didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified the way Jesus was. You know, so, you know, these men were, were committed, you know, when, and when, you know, they were talking about um, being, um, acknowledging and um, associating themselves with Jesus', Jesus death, burial, and resurrection. They were willing to die for Christ. And you know what, guys, I'm so thankful that we don't face this kind of, um, you know, these threats or this kind of persecution today. But I, I, you know, I can't make any guarantees of what's going to happen down the road. You know, we just need to, you know, our personal relationship with the Lord is so vital. It's so vital. And, you know, I, you know, you probably hear this a lot, but you know, your devotional time, your time alone with the Lord, you know, that, that really has to be quality time. 
Because if it's not, then you really don't have a quality relationship with the Lord. And it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to have to have, I mean, for these men to go through what they did, and, you know, and they put their life on the, light, on the line every day. I mean, they were li- they're living under Roman rule, and they're proclaiming that there's another king. And they're proclaiming that that king isn't Caesar, it's Jesus. So at any time, they could have been just pulled right out of the crowd and, and executed just for that. And if you've read up to this point, you know how bold Peter is. I mean, he, he was like right in their face, just telling them the truth. And I'm sure it wasn't in a real, it wasn't in a, a mean-spirited way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he wanted those guys to acknowledge Christ, to accept the gospel, and to get saved. So, um, it says that uh, Herod, in verse 3, that Herod saw the executing of James please the Jews, so he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Okay? So that it's almost like that, uh, you know, if you, if you were to look at it in today's vernacular, it was almost like a political favor. You know, Herod is doing something for the Jews, so the Jews can, you know, he's going to find more favor with the Jews. Quid pro quo, Right? I do something for you, you do something for me. And now, to make things even, um, you know, to juicy up the pot a little bit, to make it even a little more interesting, um, he has Peter arrested, and Peter is next to be executed. And, you know, think about it. Do you think that arresting Peter um, really got, put um, Herod in good favor with the Jews? I mean, look what Peter has done since the day of Pentecost. The messages that he delivered, the amount of people that the Lord saved through those messages, Cornelius coming into the kingdom of God, the Gentiles. I mean, they were probably pretty happy to see that Peter was next to go. But, you know, but God. God had, um, God had other plans. So the situation doesn't look good for Peter, Right? But look at the response of the church and Peter. And there's a, there's a lesson in that for us. God hears our prayers. Do you believe that? Everybody that believes that, just slip your hand up. You believe God answers prayer? Yes. That's why we pray, right? We pray because we know that God answers our prayers. And each, every one of you could testify, I'm sure, over and over again, how God has met and, and, and really answered your prayers. I mean, we're all here because somebody prayed for us. It's amazing. It's amazing. Thank God that they prayed for us. All right. Well, that's why we pray, because we believe that God answers prayer. So in verses 5 and 6, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, excuse me, that night Peter was sleeping bound with chains, with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So it says earlier on in that verse that in the, it says that when he was arrested in verse 4, they put him into prison and delivered and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. Four squads of soldiers. So they know that um, Peter, it's hard to keep Peter in jail up to this point, right? He's in and out. (laughs) They arrest him and then he's gone, right? So they're not taking any chances this time. But it's, you know, the contrast here is obvious. Peter was bound by Herod. And, you know, if you could, um, you know, you could kind of, even extend that a little bit, you know, as you want to make the application for us being bound by the world. But God loosed, God loosed those chains and God loosed that hold um, that this prison had Peter in. And, you know, it's no different with us in our walk with the Lord. You know, sometimes we feel imprisoned or we're bound to something. But you know what? Prayer is what breaks those bounds, that breaks those chains. It's prayer that breaks them, and it's prayer that set Peter free. So, you know, the, you know, the application for us is obvious. Whatever we're facing in life, give it to God and pray. 
You know, it freed Peter, think about it, emotionally and physically. It, it delivered him, obviously, physically, because the angel came and we're going to see takes him out of jail. But emotionally, we're going to see, too, that the angel had to wake him up. So emotionally, he must have been chilling, right? Fall, you know, to think you'd fall asleep the day before you're going to be executed. So the power of prayer. I mean, think about it. They offered constant prayer. It was offered to God. Persistence. I want to read a few verses relating to prayer. And these, you guys know these probably by heart. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, not some things, but everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And a peace of God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, uh, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, in everything, give thanks. For what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're looking for God's will in your life, here it is. There's part of it, right? Praying. Praying. And you know, praying without ceasing doesn't mean praying repetitiously and continuously. Uh, without a break, but rather praying persistently and regularly. Persistent, being persistent in prayer. And I, I think that we all have somebody in the back of our minds that we are persistent in prayer. There are people that really, that we love and care about that we're praying for persistently and regularly because we know that God answers prayer. And you know, it's interesting because the more you pray, the more at peace you feel about it. Because you know that God, is, God is, is involved. God is involved. Boy, you know, that could be, that would be a nice t-shirt. God is involved. And on the back with my life. Something like that. Or backwards like that. But it would be pretty cool to have something like that. But God's involved. Um, and you know, talking about praying persistently, in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, I'll, I'll read it for you guys. Um, Jesus gives an illustration of praying persistently in this parable. So it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor man, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, at least by her continual coming she wear me out. Then, he, then the Lord said, hear, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, Nevertheless, the Son of Man comes. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, will he really find faith in the earth? So the judge isn't given as a symbol of God, but rather in contrast to God. If such an unjust man would respond to persistent pleas, um, wouldn't God, who, not, who is not only just but loving and merciful, so this woman is a picture of being just persistent, persistent in prayer. Here's the point of the parable, that God, who always does right and is filled with compassion for believers who suffer, will certainly respond to his beloved ones who cry for his help. Praying persistently, persevering in prayer, so important, so important, guys. God hears our prayers. Uh, Richard did um, a great job breaking uh, these few verses down, um, I think between some Sundays and some Thursdays, but Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14, and 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. You know, God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. John 9, 31. 
Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. We all qualify for that, right? We fit in that category, don't we? All right. I believe you guys, even though you're not saying much, I believe you. Nope. First Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. You know, God is, is he's bending his ear to hear, and you know, he loves it. He loves it. He loves to hear from us. All right, back to Acts 12. So that phrase, but constant prayer was offered to God, is really a turning point in this particular event in the book of Acts. Um, never underestimate the power of a praying church. I think it was, I'm not, I, I might get this wrong. So I think it was Charles Spurgeon. When somebody asked him, you know, why was his church so effective? And he brought him down in the basement and there were like 300 people praying during the service. You know, prayer. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've all heard testimonies of, you know, just the power of prayer in different churches. We were in, um, I think it was the church in New York City in Times Square. I think it was, a, I think it's the Times Square church. This was a few years ago. We were doing an out, outreach in New York City with the Father's Heart. And um, we got to church early. And there were literally, there were, I mean, it had to be 100 people already at the altar praying before the service, for the service, for different needs. You know, prayer, prayer, it's important. And, you know, don't, um, don't beat yourself up. You know, we all could be praying more, okay? So, you know, you, you know that's, a, that's like a, a really a personal internal kind of thing that, you know, you're, you're never thinking you're praying enough. But if you're praying... That, and, you know, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said, in respect to the story we're looking at, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Prayer, constant prayer, sent that angel to deliver Peter. And, you know, I already mentioned this, but, you know, think about, think about Peter, chained between two Roman soldiers, you know, and this is, you know, this is, I mean, he was arrested two other times, but this was like totally different because both times, I mean, he was with somebody first off. The first time he's with John, and then the second time he got put in jail with the rest of the apostles, remember in Acts 5? But now he's in jail alone with all of these guards, and James just was executed. So you would think that this is, I mean, this is like totally different. You know, and in his mind, you know, you wonder what's going on in his mind. But you know what? I mean, he is so sound asleep, the angels got to hit him to wake him up. You know, he had this peace. Um, he had this peace. So um, let's, let's make it real for us, right? Being faced with family concerns, jobs, relationships. Do these, do these things keep you up at night? Think about it. Think about it. You know, we're going to look at a few things that I really believe that, that Peter did or were, were things that were going on in Peter's life that really gave him that peace. Okay, he was facing death, but yet he was sleeping like a baby in there, just out. Right, and then, you know who else? Remember Daniel was in a lion's den? He fell asleep, probably cuddled up with one of the lions, right? So, all right, here's, um, here's a few things. First, um, this is, you know, it's been his second time in, in, in prison. Um, you know, God was faithful to get him out then. So what, you know, in his mind, I really believe, what's the difference? What's the difference? It's just maybe more guards, a different jail, you know, who knows, right? But we've all been in situations that um, seemed um, pretty impossible, and God got us through it, and then another situation comes up, and God got us through it. You know, and that's almost like spiritual interest, I guess. You know, you go through a situation, and you learn something, and you put that in the bank. 
you know, that information, that experience, that knowledge. And then the next time something comes up again, you have this resource. Well, yeah, but you know, God came through in this situation. The situation's no different. Or it might be totally different. But God, the situations are different, but God's not. God's not different. The second thing, Peter uh, probably fell asleep praying. You know, we're talking about praying. You know, last night, I heard this weird noise outside. It sounded like an accident, so I went downstairs. You know, now I'm awake. So, I, you know, I'm sitting down there. I had a few pretzels, right? So I'm just, you know, trying to, I'm reading a little bit. So I just went upstairs, got in bed, and just started to pray. And I got up like 5.30. I woke up. You know, so I could picture Peter in prison, chained to these guys, just praying, just thanking, thanking the Lord, Lord, thank you for saving those Gentiles. You know, thank you for reaching the world. You know, just to think of the things that he could be thanking Jesus for. I mean, then think of the things that when we put our head down, what we could be thanking God for. You know, I'm sure that that brought that peace. And you know what? We saw it in Philippians 4. We read it, right? I'll read it to you again, the last half of the verse, verse 7. Well, I'll read the whole verse again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, the church is praying for Peter, and, you know, God is guarding his heart, it's guarding his mind. Peter's praying. Um, you know, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture to see here in the book of Acts, but it's a, even a more beautiful picture for it to be lived out in your life, to experience it. And it's, you know, it's in here for us, right, to learn. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us those things that were written beforehand were written for our learning, right, for our admonition. So that's important. It's important. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he, he still wants to do this stuff. I mean, you don't have to go to jail to experience it. You can experience it right at home, right? So, yeah, you don't have to, um, you don't have to um, end up like Peter, hopefully. And here's the last thing where I think was a key for Peter to have peace. In John 21, 18, Jesus tells Peter, I'll read it to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter's in jail. He's not old yet. Jesus said that they were going to, I mean, you were going to die when you were old. So he's not old. So he's just holding on to that promise. Now, you know, it might have been a little different if he was old, but he wasn't old. You know, Jesus spoke, spoke a word to him, and he believed it. He believed it. You guys, do you think that's a possibility? That Jesus told him something and he believed it? Sure, I would, I would think so. I mean, we read the Bible every day and believe it, right? So that's what I, I think that was part of the key for Peter. And it's no different for us, guys. We can trust God's word. We can be confident in what God says to us. You know, we, I mean, we can stake our lives on it because the word of God is true. The word of God is true. Okay, let's read verses 7 through 11. It says, Now behold, um, the angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them in its own accord. And they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel 
and he has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And of course, we know the expectation of the Jewish people um, was to see Peter executed. That was the expectation they had. But God, you know, Peter's not going anywhere until God is finished. And it's the same with us, right? You know, God, when God is finished with the work that he's doing through us, um, you know, it's off to glory. And that's, that's a good thing, right? All right, application. We don't, what do we need deliverance from? Are you in between a rock and a hard place? Do you think that the hand of the Lord is too short? You think that he can't minister or work in the situation that you're facing? He can. He can. He can. All you got to, you know, look at the word. Look, I mean, look at even just this, this one chapter, what God is doing. We saw towards the end of chapter 11 how God has got um, Saul and Barnabas in the right place. You know, they're in Antioch. Antioch is going to become the hub for all of Paul's missionary journeys. You know, James, it was God took James home. It's not time for Paul to go. I mean, Peter, so he delivers Peter from this jail. I mean, you know, God is in control. God is in control. And we can, I mean, we should be so confident in that, that God is in control. I keep saying that. God is in control. He is. He is. So the church is doing their part, praying, and God is doing his part, sending the angel, and Peter is doing his part, okay? And that's obeying. That's obeying. And, you know, once again, we've, if you look through the book of Acts, you've seen up to this point, um, angels is involved uh, in ministry, Acts 5, Acts 8, and Acts 10. And um, Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and deliver him and delivers them, sorry. So, there, you know, there's angels dispatched to minister in situations that, in our lives that we don't even know about. The angel brought light and liberty into the prison cell, and the chains fell off and the doors were open. How cool is that? You know, different things that they make movies out are so lame. But, you know, could you imagine this? And they're getting to the last gate, and the Lord just opens the gate for them. Chains fall off his hands, you know. And it takes all of that for Peter to get out of, you know, away from the prison to realize that, wow, this isn't a vision. This is real. You know, I'm free. And, you know, it's funny, I was, I've, been, um, I've been in situations where, um, you know, it, it, it really has taken a miracle to, to really get past it, it seems, right, when you're going through it. And then when you're on the other side of it and you realize that, wow, I mean, I, I, I mean God is just so real. He just delivered me and just got me through this whole situation. I mean, I thought for sure that it was just going to be a horrible thing. And no, but God is there. You know, he, ta- you know, he takes a- makes ashes to beauty, right? So important for us to understand that. So Peter is, um, gets delivered. He had to obey what the angel, the angel commanded him. And it's a good reminder for us, deliverance comes with obedience. Deliverance comes with obedience. God makes a way, but we need to walk in it. We need to walk in it. All right, let's read verse 12, and we're going to do communion tonight, so I want to I try to get this in about Mark. Verse 12 says, so when he had considered this, um, this being delivered from prison by an angel, he, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and there were many gathered together praying. So this verse introduces uh, John Mark to us, to the reader. Um, and John Mark is an interesting guy. Um, I want to look at his life a little bit. And, um, you know, as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see him a little bit more. But I want to, um, I want to encourage you. And, and his life really has really been an encouragement um, to me. 
Um, you know, Mark had his growing pains just like we do. He had his ups and downs, um, but he's a great example for us. You know, God never gave up on Mark, and Mark never gave up on God. So looking at, the, I mean, looking at this particular one verse, we see that, um, you know, John's, John Mark's mother, Mary, uh, probably was a woman that, uh, of prominence and means because she was able to, um, you know, put these guys up in her house. She must have had a, a bigger house, and, which always indicated wealth. Um, John Mark's father's not mentioned, so she might have been a widow. But I want to look at Mark a little bit. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, right? Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. John Mark was an acquaintance of Peter, and uh, history tells us that Peter uh, helped Mark in uh, putting together the Gospel of Mark, was, had some input into that. Peter was a, a resource for Mark. John Mark uh, accompanied Barnabas and Paul to Antioch. We read that at the end of verse I think it was verse 25 of chapter 11. And then later uh, went to Cyprus with Barnabas. And he actually left out with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but got to Pergia, per, Perga in Acts 13, 13, and for some reason uh, came back to Jerusalem. So um, they don't, we really don't know why. Um, I, you really don't read it in the Bible. On the second missionary journey, Paul refused to take Mark with him because he felt that he deserted him or whatever, you know, but he just said, you know, it's not going to happen. So Barnabas takes Mark and he goes back to Cyprus and Paul and Silas head out to, uh, from Antioch to uh, back across through the, all of the cities that they went to heading uh, from Asia to Europe. Um, let's see, he, dis he disappears, and this is what I want to focus on. He disappears until he's seen with Paul at Rome as an accepted companion and co-worker. So I want you to think about this. In 2 Timothy, Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 4, Only Luke is with me, get Mark, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And then there's another verse, and I hope I put it in here. Well, Paul, obviously, okay, I found it. Thank you, Lord. It's um, Colossians 4.10 that I just read, but I want to read it again. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Paul and Barnabas at this point in Colossians chapter 4 have, they've kind of buried the hatchet, right? Seems like that they're back in ministry together. Um, you know, uh, Mark is, uh, is, is useful to Paul. Um, he's given him special instructions to make sure he gets there safe, make sure that they respect him. He's a good man. So I want to put some time with this so, so I make my point. So Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians around 62 AD, and Mark wrote the gospel around 64 AD. So just to give you a time frame. So the second missionary journey started around 49 A.D., so roughly between Acts 15.36 and Paul writing Colossians. There's roughly 13 to 15 years has transpired. And, you know, you wonder, what, what was Mark doing, you know, after, after he left Paul, and he went with Barnabas. You know, all of that time, God is refining this young man's life. Over, you know, over time. And think, you know, he could have, 
He could have, right? And this is just me speculating. But he could have, after things split and, you know, Paul kind of laid down the law and said, no way, man, I don't, I don't trust this guy or whatever. I mean, that could have really damaged him, right? He could have just left the ministry. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul's telling me that, you know, that he doesn't trust me. But, you know, there he is again. Now, here's Barnabas again. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Here he is again, his ministry. Uh, you know, we, we don't hear a lot about Barnabas towards the end, or middle or end of, of Acts. But here's a guy that the Lord used to introduce Paul to the apostles in Jerusalem. Here's a guy who sold all of his property in Acts chapter 4 and just gave it to the church. Here's a guy that's sent to um, Antioch, like we talked about earlier, to check on what was going on, the move of the Lord, to you know, see, make sure everything was cool. And you know, here, here's the guy that goes and gets, gets Saul and brings him into ministry. Here's a guy that goes with Saul and eventually he's called Paul on that trip on his first missionary journey. I mean, when you think of the, the impact that Barnabas had on this young man's life, on Saul's life, and, you know, think of, think of Mark. You know, here's a guy who stayed the course. You know, I, I read that, that little blurb, you know, God didn't give up on Mark and Mark didn't give up on God. You know, whatever happened between him and Paul, he took it in stride. He just trusted the Lord. And, you know, I don't know, um, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life, you know, but, you know, all of us, in this room, are in this process of sanctification. And you know what? It's life. It's a, it's a life sentence. In a good way, right? Because as you're breathing and you're, you know, you're serving the Lord and, you, you know, you're allowing God to have that free hand in your life. That process of sanctification where God gets that hammer and chisel out every once in a while and starts hitting off those rough edges or that sandpaper to smooth out things. Well, Mark went through that and came out, you know, like a gem. And, you know, you think of how it happened, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of some men to come around him. You know, Paul and, and Mark, you know, just mending fences, if you will. You know, there's no room for grudges in the church. If somebody has wronged you, Get, then get it right. There's, you know, the Bible talks about how to deal with that. Just go see the brother or the sister and look them in the eye and say what's on your heart, right? Ask them to forgive you or talk to them about whatever it takes. You know, there's real clear direction in the word for that. But there's really no room for grudges in the church. Could you imagine how are we supposed to move forward if we're trying to move forward with people we don't like or don't trust? You know, it's crazy. It's crazy, you know, so these guys, uh, they really, really just blows me away to see that. You know, we're, let's, um, I want to read, uh, before we do communion, you know, I'm going to, we'll read these verses, we have time. I'm going to just read the rest of the chapter, because it's kind of interesting, because in verses 13 through 16, I, I see, um, it's kind of would describe me at times. Maybe, maybe it describes you as well. It said, and as now Peter's going to Mary's house, right? And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now, keep in mind, these are the folks that are in constant prayer for Peter to get delivered from prison. So they said, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and he was astonished. And they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. This is the Lord's brother, James, who right now is the head of the church in Jerusalem. And to the brethren, 
And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. So they're going back to the jail and Peter's gone again, right? So, so we're not, then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. I mean, and these guys really... I mean, they, it was, they had no, I mean, it wasn't their fault. You know, what were they going to, I don't think Herod was going to buy the excuse or some angel came and took them out while we, you know, we were wide awake. They just got out. And I tried to explain that one, right? And Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they, became, they came to him with one accord and having... Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of God and not of a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. How the irony of this, right? You know, I'm sure that there, the whole church wanted something bad to happen to Herod for what he was doing. But you know, vengeance is the Lord's, right? Vengeance is the Lord's. And you know, it's interesting. I saw Josephus said that Herod that Herod endured terrible pain for at least five days before he died. So, you know, it's just interesting to see how this guy, how people probably were thinking, oh, you know what, I'd love to do this or I'd love to do that. But you know what? Vengeance is the Lord's. So what I want to do, and we're going to take communion. I just want to read Psalm 94. And I'll tell you, this... It's really blessed me because we, we, me, some of us, we get frustrated by what we see today. You know, we want something done, you know. But I'll tell you what, after reading through this a bunch of times, this psalm today and um, yesterday, and you know, it's all in God's hands. Everything is in God's hands, you know, and we got to get to the place that, Lord, you know what? You're going to protect me. You're going to keep me. And if anything happens to me or my family, you know, we know where we're going. All right, but let, I want to read Psalm 94. We'll pray. I think the girls, are you texting the girls? The girls are going to come back and do another song. And while they're doing that song, you know, you guys can just walk up and help yourself, all right? But let me read this first. So this is Psalm 94. Oh, Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. So now the tide turns a little. Understand, you senseless, you senseless among the people. And this is a command to understand. Command, you senseless among the people. Are you fools? When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of men. They are futile, or quickly passing. Blessed is the man whom, in, whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. 
for the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will raise up for me against evildoers? Who will stand up for me against workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will help me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense. He is our defense, right? And my God, the rock of my refuge, he has brought, he has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. Amen. You guys want to come up? You know, guys, we are, um, you know, we are truly blessed. Truly, truly blessed. You know, we don't, we don't have to be filled with anxiety. You know, we don't, you know, we don't have to flip the channel on TV and see a bunch of craziness and think that everything is out of control because it's not. You know, and, and in God's time, every, you know, God is, is going to work it all out to his glory. You know, but through this, and even through the things that we're facing, the normal daily things that we go through, you know, God is in control of everything. And you know what? Spend, you can spend the time in the Word, spend the time in prayer, just giving it all to the Lord, you know, and it's, it's um, <laughs> I wish I could say that, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's easy, you know, it's, it's just coasting, right? It's not. You know, Christianity, the Christian life is, is hard. It's hard. It's challenging, right? It's challenging, you know, but God wants to use adversity in our life to refine us, to make us better. And God wants to take the good times in our life to refine us and make us better. He, he uses everything, in our lives to make us better, to draw us closer to him. And you know, it's, it's all possible. It's all been made possible through the cross. If it weren't for the cross, if it weren't for Jesus going to the cross and giving his life for us, I mean, this wouldn't be available. We couldn't have a personal relationship with the Lord like we do. We wouldn't be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, so when we take communion and... Um, you know, I just want you guys to think about that. I want you guys to think about what Jesus really accomplished at the cross. Because, you know, we, we, we talk about salvation. We talk about redemption. You know, but that, that is, um, you know, man, it's just so deep. When you think of your life and, you know, God's investment in your life, you know, what are we doing with it? You know, are we giving God a return on his investment? And I'm not talking about works. We're not saved by works. I'm just saying in, in your heart, when you realize what God did to save us, to reconcile us back to himself, you know, Jesus going to the cross, wow.